0: Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. I also host the podcast Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, which you can listen to if you need your literary fix fast. This podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, is for anyone out there who wants to feel better in their bodies like I do. There's a private support group that I started on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. And all of us share tips, suggestions, recipes, meal ideas, and generally just give each other lots and lots and lots of support so that it isn't so hard to do what should be simple but somehow isn't. So please listen to the podcast, hear stories from people just like you who have struggled and overcome things and have ideas and suggestions, and let's just do this together. We got this. Thanks for listening. So I don't know if you guys know, but I have an anthology coming out soon called Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. And I'm going to be reading my own essay from it today for this episode called The Weight of It All. And it's about how I felt about weight loss during COVID and my whole life and all the rest. And I thought it would be relevant given probably some of you are going through something similar or, can relate to this. And I wanted to read it. Also, I wanted to give a little plug for this new anthology. So I hope you'll buy it. It's called Moms Don't Have Time 2, a quarantine anthology. And in it, I have 60 essays that were written by authors who have been on my podcast, including some really big names like the actress Evangeline Lilly and Gretchen Rubin and Chris Bajellian and just some really awesome, awesome authors. So if you could pre-order the book, that would be amazing. And there's a whole section called Moms don't have time to eat and moms don't have time to work out, which are super relevant for everything that we talk about. So it's for sale on Amazon and bookshop.org and anywhere you find books. And it would really be amazing if you would pre-order or order or whatever, spread the word. Anyway, here's the essay and I hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you. The Weight of It All by Zibby Owens. In quarantine, all my old body insecurities came roaring back. The only reason I bought a scale recently was for my younger children's telemedicine checkups with their pediatrician. Before I could prop the kids up on my desk and have them open wide into my desktop's camera, I would need to record their height and weight to have on hand for the appointments. It seemed simple enough. I ordered the same type of old-fashioned floor model scale that looked exactly like the one I had in high school and that followed me for 20 years afterwards. The scale and I have had a fraught relationship since I was nine years old. That was when, according to my mother, I told her I was upset about how much larger my thighs were than all the other girls at school with their string bean legs. Sitting at the breakfast table in her bathrobe, smoking a Vantage Ultra and eating half a grapefruit before heading off to Gilda's exercise class, this five two petite, toned woman sprang into action. She knew just how to fix this problem. She bestowed upon me her treasured, dog-eared copy of the book Calories and Carbohydrates and taught me how to scan the tiny number lines for each food. I diligently measured half a cup of orange juice over the kitchen sink and my uniform jumper each morning before writing down the calories and then heading off to fourth grade. I remember rushing into my little brother's room one night when my mom was tucking him in and proudly announcing that I had two pieces of great news. I had swallowed my first pill, something for my allergies, and I had successfully stayed under 1,200 calories for the day. The real test, of course, was seeing if the scale had gone down. I would stand in my mother's bathroom once a week, which smelled like ponds, cold cream, and Nivea lotion, and step on her doctor's scale. I'd nudge the black markers right or left until the pendulum balanced and stopped wavering up and down. I always wanted to push it further and further left. Never mind that I was still growing. I wanted to fit in with my waif-like friends. I wanted my body to look like theirs. Perhaps then I would be completely accepted. For the next 30 years, I tried every diet and exercise fat imaginable while ricocheting up and down 5, 10, 15, or 20 pounds, all within a tight range like a ping pong ball going back and forth over the net of a faded table. Atkins, Step Aerobics, Carbohydrate Addicts, Tybo, the clinic on 63rd Street that gave me vitamins. Hit. It was never enough. If only I could lose a few pounds, I could remove the shackle of shame I felt was constantly wrapped around my neck like a Parisian woman's scarf. I was embarrassed by the outward display of my inner mess. I wanted to at least look like I had it all together. When inside, I was worried, anxious, and trying to find my place in the world. After business school in 2003, I became a Weight Watchers addict and adhered so strictly to the program that I lost 30 pounds and even became a leader, running meetings all over New York City to spread the gospel. I counted points and wrote down every food I ate for almost 10 years, through three pregnancies and four kids. I couldn't get over the joy I felt that there was actually a solution, something that worked. I couldn't control the chaos of having twins. I couldn't absorb the shock of going from being an overachiever to spending my days on the playroom floor, longing for the time when I could just get to sleep again. But losing weight gave me a quantifiable goal, something for me, something to aspire to when grades and salary and all other external measures of success suddenly evaporated. Yet losing all that weight wasn't good for me physically. My hair started falling out, I stopped getting my period, and I was always cold. One doctor I consulted even said, your body just isn't made to be this skinny, and that's okay. In retrospect, trying to control my intake and keep my body looking its best was the way I tried to cope as my first marriage fell apart and I felt powerless to save it. The inner turmoil was on full display. I ate my feelings. I structured my diet because I could control that more than I could control my life. I ate in secret to cope with the things that went on in my home that I didn't discuss. At some point during the last five years, after my divorce and in my new relationship with Kyle, who became my husband, I made a delicate peace with my body and started focusing on work instead. I stopped weighing myself unless my zippers strained as I yanked them up and I knew I had to regroup. I accepted that to eat the way I wanted without expending an inordinate amount of energy watching it, I would be three or four sizes larger than my goal weight. And then the pandemic hit. I felt enormously lucky to be healthy and financially secure when so many others were suffering from the start. "'My first thoughts were more about food scarcity "'and the nation's food supply system than my genes. "'I was so scared and nervous as we hunkered down "'that I couldn't eat that much. "'I was in survival mode. "'I threw my energy into helping buoy the literary community "'when I wasn't taking care of my four kids "'and cleaning the house. "'For exercise, my teen daughter asked me "'to do a YouTube summer shred workout program with her. "'I'll do anything for her, even crunches and burpees. "'So we did it daily. "'And then the scale arrived.' I took it out of the box and placed it on my cold bathroom floor. My little guy hopped right on. Mom, get on with me, he said excitedly. Come on. I hadn't been on a scale in months, but I had a number in mind, the high end of my ping-pong range that I fully expected to see. I got on with the scale with my son and quickly did the math. Wait, that couldn't be right. Honey, let me try this alone for a second, okay? I gasped. I stared down at a number that was 10 pounds higher than I expected, a number I'd only seen while pregnant. And here I thought I'd lost weight. All the old demons came racing out, taunting me. You're fat, you're lazy, you're pathetic, you're out of control, how could you? The number was far above my before weight when I started Weight Watchers almost 20 years ago. I backed away from the scale and ushered my son out of the suddenly toxic bathroom. That night, I began aggressively stuffing my face with food, perversely punishing myself with the same weapon that had gotten me into this mess. I started obsessing about my weight, the foods I was eating, what I should and shouldn't consume, scarfing down cookie after cookie at night while everyone else in the house was finally sleeping. Naturally, several days later, my clothes felt tight for the first time in months. I was falling back into my self-punishing habits like an armchair sliding back into the well-worn depressions in the carpet after being temporarily pushed aside. I almost couldn't believe it. After all these years, the same feelings were still there, ever present. I can see now that I was reaching for my telltale crutch, the one I routinely steadied myself with in times of stress and uncertainty. And what is a pandemic if not a time of extreme stress and uncertainty? I was trying to find that elusive sense of control, that hook to tether myself to, and then punishing myself when I couldn't pull it off. It was a sobering reminder that achieving balance is a lifelong journey with plenty of backslides along the way. Soon after the craziness, busyness, and fear of day-to-day COVID-19 life overtook me again, What about camp? A new disease affecting children? Should we move? But this time, I handled things a bit differently. My food rumination waned. I started to plan. I got caught up in life again and helping my kids and my community and looking outward. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Don't forget to follow the private support group at Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight on Instagram. Thanks.